Hello, my friends. Bradley J. here with Doug Arian, who's a professor of entrepreneurship at Carthage College, among other things, a cosmologist, a physicist, astronomer, and we are doing a series on interesting science stuff. Today, it's the Big Bang. All along, I've had questions about the Big Bang. Most of us know a little bit about it, but we're going to find out a lot about it. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. This is great. This is round four. It's, a, it's excellent that we've been building on the subject for a couple of weeks now. So this is, this is a perfect next step. Right. We did some heavy-duty brain-bending groundwork. It took, it took me three months to prepare. But now this is the fun part. We did the hard part. Now we get the fun part. And you are coming to us. I, I love this. You're coming to us from the very heart of New Hampshire's White Mountains and Twin Mountain, pretty much off the grid. I visited your house, seen your where you do your viewing, your, what is it called? The observation place that you have, what is it called? The observatory. Observatory, what is wrong with me? The observation place, I was so close. He, Doug has a, he builds his own telescopes using bowling balls and heat pipes practically. And his observatory is a building that the roof rolls back on rollers. It's something. And we're, I'm going to go up there and do a video on it for you all to see. <clears throat> but let's get to the Big Bang. Since this is for everyone, what is the Big Bang theory, Doug? So it appears that 13.83 billion years ago, space and time began. And we know that because we can see today that the universe is expanding. It's getting bigger which means if you run the clock backwards, somewhere along the line, it must have been smaller. And you can run that backwards and do the math. And 13.8 billion years ago is when the universe began and began to expand. So the Big Bang is the beginning of that process when the universe was very small, very dense, and very hot. Um, and we have lots of observations and data that say that's what it looked like. And we know a lot about how it's evolved. Uh, we will admit right up front, we don't know what started it at the very beginning, but we know a lot about what happened since then. All right. Uh, now, a lot of the belief in the Big Bang Theory is that it, the universe is expanding, but who's to say it expands, is expanding from nothing? Why couldn't it have expanded from uh, a much, you know, something the size of the sun, why, the, why something as small as the, the head of a pin or, or an atom? How, well, how do you that, know it really came from that small an object? Well, here's the thing is, we don't know what the very first thing was, okay? And, you know, our previous sessions, we've talked about quantum mechanics, right? The, the, the science of the very small. And now we're talking about the science of the very, very big, where gravity drives everything. And here's the thing, we don't know how gravity works when things are very small. When they're very, very, very small, we know that gravity and quantum mechanics have to play together. And we don't know how to do that yet, okay? We know we don't know how to do that. And that's why what I said before is we don't know what that very, very beginning was. That very, very beginning might've been a little pinpoint or it might've been a continuation of something else. But we know after a certain point where gravity starts to take over, we understand what happened to the universe. So that very, very beginning thing, you, you've raised a very important and interesting point. Like, what, what is that? What, ha what, what is the very small, right? How very small can you get and still have something work? 
What's really cool is that's the same problem as the center of a black hole. We don't know what happens at the center of a black hole for exactly the same reason. So as far as the Big Bang goes, it couldn't have gone bang, right? It had to, be, it had to have been silent because there was no space for sound waves to travel in. Well, um, initially, when it was all energy, you're absolutely right. There, there is, I mean, there is no sound associated with it. It was just, uh, it was actually a um, sort of a joke is where the term came from. So Fred Hoyle was a famous British astronomer um, who actually did some, some, some brilliant work about where all the elements come from in stars. I mean, very famous and fantastic work was also a proponent of what's called the steady state theory, that the universe continuously created new matter that kept filling the larger and larger volume and did not like this idea of there was a beginning. It's, I mean, let's put it, it's a little unsettling, right, to think about there was a beginning and there was no universe before that. It's a little unsettling. So he didn't like that. And so he said, you know, it's really hard to believe that this whole thing started with a big bang. And he said that sort of offhandedly on British radio. And it became the description for this whole thing. It was actually a derogatory comment of, you know, that, that's such, it's such a ridiculous idea. You know, a big bang started it all. You must be joking. And yet that's why we call it the big bang today. So this is a good time to ask the question, why did it happen when it did? This is my, one of my key things. It's, you know, my uncomfortableness with arbitrariness. Say, so yeah, out of all the moments that could, it could have happened. Why then? What would have stimulated this to happen? It, it just seems too arbitrary. Now, I could see if it happened in a cycle where sure. things would get very compact and very dense, very massive, very small, very hot, and then mm -hmm. blow up. Mm -hmm. and, and expand and expand and expand and then maybe retract, 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 again down to nothing, and then keep going like that. I could that is easier for right. my mind to deal with right. than for out of the blue, this tiny pinpoint blew up and made everything is tough for me. So until the most recent really big discovery, which is that the universe is not just expanding, but accelerating while we had it expanding, it was very reasonable to consider exactly what you just said that there was a cycle of expansion and then it would gravity would eventually take over and bring it back together again and so on. But now that we know that it's expanding and accelerating, it's not coming back. So that, I mean, so that makes it even more uncomfortable, right? It makes it even more uncomfortable to think about how this happened. So we don't that, know that it will continue to accelerate though. Um, all our observations say that it does, but there's always more to discover, right? as to whether that really is going to happen. So the question you raise is a very important one. So here are some of possibilities. One is that there are many universes that get created and they're constantly bubbling up. We just happen to be in one of them and there are others that are formed and they don't interact with each other, of course. Um, and just like, you know, there are things that happen and they pop up everywhere. I mean, you can look at little bubbles or little clouds, you know, one forms here, one forms there, one forms here. Okay, and we just happen to be in this one and that's it. That's just what it is. And there's another one doing something else. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is that there are more dimensions than the ones we can see. We can see up, down, left, right, front to back in time, four dimensions. What happens if there are more dimensions but we only see that collection. 
And because of that, this may just be one little thing that happens in something that's much bigger. And it's perfectly normal for, you know, these things to, just like you and I, we're born, we grow, we live, we die, and the next one comes along. And that's perfectly well-behaved. Maybe it's well-behaved in more dimensions, and we just, it just looks so bad to us because we're like, how can this thing just grow from nothing and keep getting bigger? Well, maybe that's only because we're limited in what we can see. I love your analogy with the elephant. This people, some guy could only see the trunk of the elephant and the tail of the elephant. And I always wondered, gee, I wonder why they're always in such close approximation because he could never see the middle of the elephant. Right. And it's like we can't see perhaps the middle of the elephant. That's right. There's a whole bunch of other parts of this whole system that we can't sense. And we're picking up a trunk and a tail and trying to make sense out of this creature. And it's very hard to do that because there's a whole big part of the problem that we can't see. How about getting a timeline of the first moments in, in one second? Atoms were, were not born at the same time of the Big Bang because there's a certain amount of organization that has to take place in there. It took a That's while. Right. Molecules, yeah. et cetera, and, of course, elements. Mm-hmm. Right away, like one millisecond. Even, even much Three shorter seconds. than that. Shorter it, than a millisecond. Much shorter than that. So in the first um, trillion trillionth, trillionth, trillionth of a second. So that's 0.36 zeros and a one. Very, very tiny amount of time. After whatever initiated this whole thing, from that period on, in a very short period of time, the universe grew and expanded to be tremendously large. It's what's called cosmic inflation. It then started expanding at a very reasonable rate for nine billion years. How large did inflation make it in that trillionth of, trillionth, trillionth of a second? Like something um, as large as our solar system or, big, or galaxy or? Oh, much, much bigger than that. Like much, poof, much bigger than that. Completely uh, instantly. Almost. It expanded by a factor of, um, let's see, about 100 trillion trillion in each direction. <laughs> okay. So... Um, very, very large. Um, so it's the equivalent of taking like a piece of DNA, like a little molecule, yeah. and making it about 10 light years in size. Okay, in a trillionth, trillionth of a second. Correct, correct. All right, inflation. Yeah. That, that's what. And then the universe starts expanding, you know, it's, it goes, and then, okay, now we're going to be pretty well behaved for a very, very long time. And then about a few billion years ago, it started accelerating more and more as space got bigger. So in that first few trillionths of a second into the first few thousandths of a second to the first seconds, you go from space expanding, all of that energy slow, you know, becoming particles. And the first thing it becomes are things like quarks and gluons. Those are the things that end up making protons and neutrons. So you can't even hold a proton together because there's so much energy. As the universe expands and it cools, you start making protons and you start making some neutrons. And that means you can start making hydrogen and helium. So you end up making hydrogen and helium, just individual nuclei, just individual single atoms. And then much later, you can start making molecules, but that's much, much later. Things have to be much cooler. So in that very short period of time, you go from, pure energy to those first particles to the first atoms. 
And that's all you get. You get hydrogen, helium, a little bit of lithium. That's it. That's the whole universe early on as far as matter is concerned. So if you're a semi-smart person, smart, semi-smart person like me, you might ask, well, how can inflation happen so fast? Because nothing can travel as fast than the speed of light. But the difference is, I didn't complete the sentence, nothing can travel the speed of, faster than the speed of light in space. Correct. But space can expand faster than the speed of light. Exactly. All right. Exactly. See, I, I, the only reason I know that is Doug taught me that in one of our previous lessons, which is, yeah. you know, pretty cool. Speaking of space, yeah. isn't, you know, we, we think initially we thought of space is empty. Now we know it's not. Should we call it space anymore? Because we think of space as an empty thing. There, wouldn't real space be the thing that our old notion of space expanded into, into that nothingness? Right. Yeah. So, so the colloquial use of space, the kind of thing that all of us who, you know, until you start getting into the subject, space is just like this big empty thing and stuff happens in space, right? That's, that's our colloquial view of it. When it turns out that actually space is an entity, just as you described. And in fact, space and time are connected. So in physics, we actually have a thing called space time. And that's this four dimensions, up, down, left, right, front to back, and time are tied together as a thing. And they evolve together and you can trade off between them, time, you know, time and space. If you had a, a vacuum, you think there's nothing in it since we're talking about space. Maybe that's truly space. But no, even in a vacuum here, due to a thing called, I believe, quantum field theory, mm -hmm. has shown that even in a vacuum, there are particles that pop in and out from actual nothing. Which, right. And is it, well, first you'll talk about that, but could that somehow be related to the Big Bang? Like, could the thing that blew up have popped from nothing? Yes. If you look at the total energy of the universe, it balances out to almost exactly zero. The amount of positive energy, the light, the heat, everything moving, and the amount of energy and the gravity that's pulling it back together, and the dark energy and the dark matter, you add that all up, you get zero. So in one sense, you can say there's nothing here, right? The total energy is zero, which means you could easily create it from nothing, and then it could disappear to nothing. And so you're exactly right. This whole quantum idea that things can pop up and then disappear, the universe may be a complete package of something that could pop up from nothing because there's no energy here, no total energy, and then live a long time. And in fact, that's what we see here. So if we're a whole quantum system, and this is this whole issue of can you put gravity and quantum mechanics together, right? If you can, you could look and say, okay, how at the very beginning could this universe pop up out of nothing because it has a total energy of zero and then live for a long time? You spoke about gravity, good time to bring it in. You know, when in popular science, they explain gravity, they, what they do is basically have a rubber sheet, pull tight and put heavy objects in it and show how things with mass distend space time. That's problematic for me because that sheet is in a plane. Right which is wrong because you know, there's 360 degrees and all the way around. So that's kind of misleading. Plus the, look, quantum mechanics, does quantum mechanics show that that model is not legit? So the, the problem is that mentally we can only visualize three dimensions, right? Yes. So we can't 
visualize three dimensions being bent. We just physically, mentally, we, we can't do that. But that's exactly what you're looking at, right? So we can visualize two dimensions being bent, right? You can have your bed sheet and throw a bowling ball on it. Well, speaking of bowling balls, and you see this dip in it. And of course, things tend to sink into the dip. Okay, that's easy. I can visualize that. But saying, let's take three-dimensional space and squish part of it, which is what happens when you have a star or a planet or a galaxy, right? And things get pulled into it. We can't visualize that. And so this demonstration idea of visualizing by having a rubber sheet is a cheat. It makes a three-dimensional thing into something two-dimensional right. that we can kind of pay attention to, but that's not what it looks like, right? So trying to understand it in three dimensions is very hard to visualize. You can do the math. You can do math in as many dimensions as you like, but trying to visualize it is very, very, it, it's impossible, right? We don't have that capability, which, which is unfortunate. Can you talk a little bit more about how and why it's so difficult to integrate gravity into the rest of all this? Well, because, um, so let, let's, let's think about the other things that you and I have talked about in the last three weeks, three or four weeks. We've talked about particles and waves, and we talked about that that's how they behave on very small things, right? Things are little waves or things are little particles and they do stuff. And we talked about how that means that you can only do things with probabilities and we have particles that go back and forth. Remember we talked about Feynman diagrams and particles communicate by sending little particles back and forth as messengers. Somehow or other, when you look at things that are very small, gravity is gonna have to do the same thing. Because all the other forces, all the other interactions, we understand there's only one way that things talk to each other and we get that. And then there's gravity. And the gravity thing, how space bends, works really well, right? We, we understand, you know, predict things, the universe works, we know how it works, GPS works, all that stuff works. But we know it doesn't work when you get really small because there's nothing in it that has little particles going back and forth and ways of talking at small distances. That problem needs to be solved. So there, there's a trip to Sweden, a million dollars, a gold medal, and meeting the king. There's, there's a whole pile of Nobel Prizes waiting for you to try to solve that. So there are people who are working on that problem, right? There are people who do different kinds of quantum gravity, string theory, what's called brain theory, which is B-R-A-N-E, a short for membrane, um, all these different approaches to try to put these pieces together, to try to come up with a way to make gravity work with particles. They're probably all wrong, correct? Very likely, all of our pictures, the, somebody will eventually come up with a much simpler picture that makes it work well. I mean, similar to the way, you know, Ptolemy came up with all these complicated orbits for things, and then Copernicus and then Kepler said, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's like way too many parts. You just put these three parts together, it explains everything. And then Newton comes and goes, actually, there's one equation. And with one equation, all of this becomes obvious. You go, okay, one equation is better than five things, which is way better than like 50 things. Right. Well, all going well, we can hope that quantum mechanics and gravity will eventually become one simple thing. And you look at it and you go, oh, of course. Yeah, of course. It's all one thing. Wouldn't that be great? So space is expanding. Why isn't why doesn't the Earth expand as well? Because we're looking at things that happen on different scales. So right now, given the size of the universe 
and the amount of push that dark energy is providing to make it accelerate, that's happening on the very biggest scales. Now, if we wait long enough, which by the way is many trillions of years, as the universe gets bigger and bigger and this force gets stronger and stronger, it will eventually rip galaxies apart, then rip stars and planets apart, and eventually rip everything apart.